Hey guys, welcome to this week's Matrix discussion group call, as in exiting the Matrix. Uh, we're just kind of chit-chatting here about, you know, things that people that are new encounter and things they stumble across, things they do, and uh, some things that might help them with some good base knowledge instead of, you know, having to follow rabbit trails for a few years before they really start getting a clue as to what's really going on, so... Anyway, we were just chatting. How you doing, bro? You should you should still be unmuted. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Anyway, yeah, we can just continue with the conversation. We were talking about uh, traveling around with your own plates and stuff like that for about a year. Good times. Yeah, I did. I did a, a, quite a bit of that, and I, I had a few cops behind me. And it, it's a common, common uh, story I've heard with lots of people just, you know, swapping plates, plates, you know, plates around. Um, I really think it's it's more of the cops not wanting to get into a discussion, or or maybe they're afraid, or whatever the case might be, but. Um, you know, I've, I've heard commonly, oh, they just leave me alone without knowing what's going on or anything like that. Yeah, I think, you know, they're like anybody else. and But even more so is they're in a dangerous position, you know, and they want to go home to their wife and kids at night. And they know that sometimes those type of stops don't always turn out um, that nice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and on true. top of it also, on top of it also, you know, if there's somebody in the county, um, maybe especially if it's a small county, and it's not one of those real gung-ho officers or whatever, you know, they may, you know, just take note of what they've observed and stuff like that, and then go back to fellow officers later on, or even their boss, you know, at the station, and say, hey, this is what I'm encountering, you know, um, should we proceed with this, you know, and sometimes they might even start to try and just kind of build a case, you know what I mean, and just take note of when they've seen you out and about and that kind of thing. Right. Are there any any any, any ways that you can think of that uh, you use a, a cop to your advantage, like, uh, like uh, you know, making a the police report on whenever there's a car accident or something like that where, you know, they, they have to go out there and actually do their job, <laughs> you know? Well, in a case where maybe it would be good to have a report written, yeah, I, right. I would say there would be useful in a situation like that, you know, where you've got somebody that has automatic recognition, you know, by the courts that writes a statement regarding, you know, and let's say, you know, something got stolen out of your garage or something like that, you know what I mean? And they can do a report on yeah. it. Um, because they've got automatic recognition in courts. You know, five of us could go in against, like, one officer in court, and the court is always going to uh, take the word of the officer because that's one of their employees, you know what I mean? And they're, and they're not they going to turn it against their own. Right. I think they consider that a, pub, uh, a professional witness. And so they have more merit than the public, you know, because I got a buddy that uh, he had a uh, no seatbelt ticket, 
Uh, and the thing is, when before he got pulled over, he put a seatbelt on. And, uh, you know, his lawyer was like, yeah, you can't even fight. He said he shed, you know, um, they're going to they're going to they're going to believe the cop, you know, <laughs> he's, a, he's a professional witness or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They use the term professional witness. There's also another phrase I use and I'm trying to think of what it is. I think it's like uh, automatic credibility or something like that, because I had a situation that involved as a witness, a clerk of court from another state. And I mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, bring her in and they're like, oh, yeah, she's got automatic credibility. You know, she's one of ours. <laughs> <laughs> so is there ever a time where you could actually, you know, take advantage of, of counsel? You know, even though it is one of their own, I know that, that they kind of uh, do an oath to, uh, you know, to the Bar Association. Um, is there any, you know, ever a time where it's beneficial to, to use to use use one of those guys? Well, I think it's exactly the same way as it is with a police officer. You know, a professional witness or have automatic credibility. So, you know, if they were a witness to something or another, yeah. But other than that, I strongly advise staying away from them, just because we know where their allegiance is at. I mean, you can look in corporate jurisdiction and look at attorney-client relationship, and the client is, I think, number four or number five on the list, you know. Their first duty is to the oath they took, you know, just to the bar, and they've got no to the court, and they've got no to the public, which the public isn't who we really think it is. It, it's really the, the company all over again, the corporation, the empire, whatever. You know, and lastly, then, on the list is the client. So, I mean... I was in a situation yep. here about a year and a half ago or so, and there was an attorney on the phone at court. He was doing a telephonic thing, and mm -hmm. somebody was being questioned or whatever by the judge or by the administrator, and that attorney piped up and said, whoa, 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 he says, you know, I haven't even spoke to my client yet, so I prefer that my client not speak until I'm able to confer with my client. And the judge, uh, the administrator, said to the attorney, said, well, you do realize that uh, not your relationship, but your duty, your duty here is bifurcated. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand that. Now, I'm sure nobody else in the courtroom understood what the judge was saying when she said that. But when the judge was saying that your position is bifurcated, she was reminding the attorney that his duty is split and his first duty is to the courts, not to the client. Mm. I found that pretty interesting to kind of hear in open court. But that was just, it, to me, more evidence of, you know, what we've read, what we already know. Have you, have you heard that the talk show they have um, over, over creditors, um, um, called uh, What Lies in Your Debt? Uh, yeah, I've looked through that website quite a bit, What Lies in Your Debt, and find it pretty interesting. I think there's a lot of information that can be found there. Definitely. Now, as far as if they do a call or whatever, I haven't listened to any of those. Yeah, cause some of their, some of their uh, kind of their, their winnings are, are pretty up there. <laughs> you know, some of their... Yeah. Stuff. 
Uh, there's another gentleman as well when it comes to debt. I'm trying to remember what his name is now, and it's escaping me. But um, I've got him on one of my uh, YouTube playlists. I think it's for the playlist for uh, administrative process. And what he did is, you know, he started out just going into court where there was different debt cases going on, people owing money, that kind yeah. of stuff or whatever. And he, he just sat and listened to what the attorneys were doing and figured out how to just reverse engineer everything they were doing. And he was helping people take care of their mortgages and things like that and, you know, avoid bankruptcy, that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, the system came down pretty hard on him. They, they tried shutting him down and shutting his mouth, but uh, they haven't been able to. And with the things that have happened to him, I would say the average person probably would have walked away a long time ago. But he's pretty persistent. So he's had more hardships than kind of wins, kind of deal. No, he's he's had plenty of wins, uh, even for himself personally. I'm just saying the hardships that they were putting him through when he first started doing his process. You know, other people would have probably freaked. You know, and he stuck with it. He's had plenty of wins. Mm. But I was listening to, I was listening to one of the. One of the videos Elon recently came out with, I think, is um, Redemption yeah, or something like that. I think it came out, it came out today. It was kind of interesting. It was saying, you know, talking about HBR 192 and how the whole country is in bankruptcy. And I, I've been to I've, I've been to criminal courts where, you know, you got to pay like I don't know. I mean, the, the the defendant gets charged 500 bucks, and right away, the judge says. We have five hundred dollar fee put into collections immediately, you know. So that definitely sounds like like bankruptcy, you know, like like uh <laughs> usually go into collections after you know some time, three three months or whatever if you're not in honor. Uh but uh, in criminal court they put you know the judge says, you know, five hundred dollars already in collections immediately. <laughs> so, so what's your take on HR one ninety two? Is is there more to it, or? Well, when it comes down to HR two one ninety two, and that's to me one of the many rabbit trails that a lot of people get running down, especially uh, people involved in the Patriot movement or people, you know, uh, involved with tax issues. That's one of the first things they start looking at. Um, trying to think what public law that is 71 or something like that but because you really got to go back to the public law and, and read the public law on it uh, really to find what the statute is really talking about because sometimes the statutes will talk about things other than what um, the original text that they took it from is saying and that original text is the public law um, that's, that's something important for people to keep in mind but myself when it comes to the finances and the coin of the realm and I look at different people getting in trouble for different things. The people that get nailed first and get nailed the hardest and get nailed the most are people that mess around with finances and mess around with the coin of the realm. Um, like, you know, the people in creditors and commerce, Winston Stroud, that kind of stuff. And so my advice to anybody is just stay away from that issue. Uh, learn how to separate yourself from the money that has to be used. And identify your use with it. In my declaration that I put out, um, I stated in there, if I can remember wording close enough, 
uh, I basically said that um, the Federal Reserve notes or whatever were being used out of um, necessity and not out of election, not out of choice. You know what I mean? And then from there, you can start to build a wall between you and the financial realm. You know what I mean? Um, one of the things I've heard, like in court, um, people stand up and they'll try, they'll start with this, uh, I'm a secure party creditor, um, um, holder of due course, uh, highest interest, da-da-da, sovereign, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things the judge will ask him is, okay, well, uh, how much yeah. money does John Doe have in the bank? And right. they'll say, oh, or, you know, and they'll, they'll try and argue, you know, I'm here by special appearance, which means you're there to question jurisdiction. That's all special appearance is for. And, right. you know, so they'll ask, well, how much do you have in the bank? And they'll say, well, I don't really know. I received a statement a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember what it said. And right there, case closed. <laughs> Judge is like, yeah, we've got jurisdiction. You're not none of the things that you just said you are. We're moving forward, and they're going to ignore all your BS. <laughs> So yeah, you know, here, here, yeah. here's a funny story. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean, and I have heard that in court. Here's kind of something interesting. I, you know, I, I like to go into court and just kind of listen to other people and see how how the judge kind of interacts with them, so-called judge. You know, um, one thing he does right away when they start going off, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm authorized representative. You know, I'm, I'm not the legal entity. I'm, I'm, I'm a living soul. Things like that. The judge responds and says, "Are you a U.S. citizen?" And um, some people say no, some people say yes, uh, but I've noticed that. I've noticed that, you know, the judge right away, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what it is, right away, are you a U.S. citizen? What's your take on that? You know, some, you know the judge is just, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big card. Are you a U.S. citizen? Right. Well, you know, I knew you mentioned bankruptcy and, and the judge's role and stuff, and I think that's one of the reasons why they have the role of administrator it is not just because of the administrative act that was done, but because it's like, okay, you're administering. What are you administering? They're administrating a bankruptcy. That's what they're administrating, you know, and they're they're administrating the affairs of those who are responsible to put funds into the coffers for that bankruptcy. Um, and, you know, as far as the U.S. citizenship thing goes, you know, I, I recommend to people, you know, just go to the documents that the state uses and the agencies that the states use. Uh, for instance, Vital Check. Vital Check is the only authorized company to be like a middleman between you and the state as far as uh, giving you your birth certificate or your certificate of life birth. Now, you can go directly, depending on your state of where, you can go directly to uh, the state health department or to vital stats, vital statistics, which is different from vital mm -hmm. check. You can go directly to them yourself and get it for cheaper than what vital check gives it to you for. But according to vital right. check, what they say about the birth certificate is that they say it is not to be used for identification because it is only evidence of a citizen and not evidence of who you are because there is no photo attached. Right. Now, this might be off topic, but I've also been studying about Curtis Collenbach, and he does a lot about, you know, 
the afterbirth and things like that. I, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm an amateur, you know, I'm a beginner as far as his work. Is there any way you could kind of explain what, what's going on with the whole afterbirth and the evil twin and the good twin and there's somebody else out there and nobody claimed the afterbirth? Okay, well, and this is, here's his stance, and I've talked to Kurt a lot. I, I like Kurt, you know, for his mind and the way his mind thinks. It thinks a little differently than mine does. Uh, he's a little more esoteric than I am, but, but what he's really mm-hmm. doing, it seems to me, is he's attaching your legal fiction to the afterbirth uh, because of different things that popes in the past have said, Pope Pius and Pope Innocent had said, um, which, yeah, that really kind of could make sense. You know, and there's been some incidents that have occurred also regarding people in the afterbirth that would kind of point in that direction that, yeah, that's a strong possibility. Myself, the way I look at it, that uh, Title I, USC one entity of person, that, that the legal entity, to me, it doesn't matter what it's attached to. Because at the end of the day, what they're really looking at when it comes to you is you being a representative of that legal entity. That legal entity to them, according to their judges and attorneys, is referred to as an agency or an organization. And it's a state-created agency or organization. And every agency or organization, just like a business, has to have a representative you know, to handle legal matters. And they look at you as being the representative uh, for that entity that they created. Now, in in their voodoo witchcraft or whatever of court in their black robes, um, they'll say that they see you and the legal entity as being one and the same. But that's kind of that's really physically not true. It's physically not possible. Um, but at the same time, they'll look at say a representative of a corporation that's in court representing that corporation. They'll look at that representative as being one and the same as that organization or that business. And that's the same way they're doing it with us. So So what what is this method of, of becoming free, separating yourself from from the liability? Well hold on just a second. Um as far as what I did give me a minute here. in an area that's kind of windy and I'm trying to keep the mic out of the wind and stuff. Um, what I did is I looked in history and saw what mankind did in history. you know. And I've had people say, well, it's all about how you carry yourself. If you carry yourself as you know somebody that's honorable, da, 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 that'll be seen and you'll, you'll be treated as such. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's not what the people on the Mayflower did. And that's not what the founders of the U.S. did. You know what I mean? Uh, they were still having problems with the king. It didn't matter how they acted or how moral upright or how pious they were. Um, what came down to it and in legal world, what it comes down to is, you know, uh, where's the black ink on the white paper? You know, where is it documented as to what you're doing? And so... You know, the very first Brian, uh, Constitution. Wouldn't some of that some of that history kind of be hearsay, you know, because um, I, I know that there's a lot of interest out there 
you know, power. Well, it's not, it's, it's not, it's, it's not hearsay because you can see the, uh, it's not, it's not hearsay because you can see the black ink on white paper. You can see what they did in their own handwriting. How do you know the validity of, how do you know the validity of what was written? You know, because sometimes somebody writes something and then somebody says, you know, that was wrong. They lied there. You know what I mean? Well, as far as the validity, uh, look who they're writing it to. Did the other side see it as being valid? If the other side saw it as being valid, now okay, now you've got two parties. There's your two witnesses. Those okay. are your two witnesses to an action. And, and, and when the Mayflower came over here, the men of the families all got together and they wrote the Mayflower Compact. That was their first constitution, pretty much saying how they were going to operate, how they were treating each other, you know, and how the relationship uh, with others were going to be conducted. You know, and they went on with that for, gosh, what, 160 years uh, before I think like the Articles of Confederation or Declaration of Independence came around. Because that was, I, I think, really when, and people call them the founding fathers, I don't call them that because they're not my father. They may have been the fathers of the country. But, and scripture says, call no man father. But anyway, you look at what they did. And uh, they wrote up, you know, their declaration. They did the Declaration of Independence, which was uh, really just a tort claim against the king, saying, you've done this, this, and this, da-da-da. That's what the body of it pretty much said. Uh, the important parts were, you know, the, the first couple paragraphs and the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. But that's what they did. That They gave notice through a declaration. And so myself, personally, I said, okay, well, that's what I'll do. And that's what I did. Uh, but since it's dealing with a legal entity created by the state, then you also have to take care of that relationship with that legal entity and have some authority there. And I feel that's where the uh, authentication process comes in at. Oh, okay. I see that. I see that now. <laughs> and you start just to kind of connect the dots and things like that. And, um, at the same time, one of the other things I did is because, you know, in, in researching things, you find that every society is really built on two pillars. It's built on the pillar of the priests and the pillar of the kings. Um, you go way back even in the times of Yeshua and look at what was going on there. Uh, look at, for instance, you know, when they tried bringing him into court and we're wanting to have him put to death, uh, there is two courts going on. There's the court of the church, and then there's the court of the Roman Empire. Um, the Roman Empire didn't have a problem with him, and so they washed their hands of him and turned him over to the court of the Jews. You know, so there, there's your two courts going on. There's your two authorities in life, and we've got that today with the uh, legislatures, which would be a state or federal government, and then again with the judges that you have in your local county or in a federal court. And so there's a, the symbols of the two powers today. And one of the things that, that's used also, like I said, you know, they'll ask if you got a bank account, but one of the things that's on their books is your voter status. And I rescinded my voter's registration. And then after doing that, I got it in writing from them that it had been uh, rescinded and accepted. And 
it was interesting. I thought, okay, well, we'll see how one pillar affects the other because I was always receiving notices for jury duty. Well, there's your judges. That's one of your other pillars. And so I used the rescission that had to deal with the um, pillar of the legislation or legislatures. And I used that rescission and sent that to the court. They contact me back and they're like, oh, sorry, um, you're excused. And they have never contacted me again. So both of those pillars are, they rely on each other. And you see the symbol of those two pillars on the social security card. You've got your two pillars right there staring at you in, in, in the face. Okay, I see that. So th that that has to be part of your declaration, right? Like you were saying. Well, that was one of the exhibits to my declaration. I, I had many exhibits with the declaration. An exhibit is just supporting evidence, all right? So the authentication, that was supporting evidence to my relationship to the legal entity and authority over it. Um, the rescission of voters' registration was an exhibit you know, or evidence uh, to uh, my position when it came to the state. Other than other than that, what what other ways uh, can you take advantage of an authenticate birth certificate? Because I think it, in the website it talks about like international business. Like like going abroad and, and doing some type of business dealings with a different country or something like that? Yeah. Uh, your your um, legal entity is observed by any nation anywhere. And one of the traps people fall into, and I mean, I fell into it at first too, because nobody was teaching this stuff. I would hear somebody give a little mention about it, but that's it. I couldn't find anybody teaching it. And so... I've got a copy of mine that has an apostille on it. Well, the apostille is only good within nations that are signatories to the Hague Treaty of 1967, I think. Mm -hmm. And so that's all an apostille um, strike of life birth is good for, is for um, those nations that are signatories to the Hague Treaty. Whereas the authentication steps outside of that and steps outside the U.S., and it is recognized uh, worldwide. Now, the hate treaty is something about children, right? Something about children and teaching, treating them well, or children-related, right? Is that what that the hate convention's about? Yeah, it had a lot to do with adoption, and it had a lot to do with identification of the children with, you know, you were adopting um, a child from another nation that was a signatory to the Hague, you know, that would... That, authentication or that apostille rather would be a document that would be accepted <clears throat> because when, when you're transferring it really really what's happening is when people are adopting they're not really transferring the baby from one nation to another but those nations are exchanging a legal entity hmm. i've heard i've heard some of the the you know some of those sovereign scripts where they say you know I'm not going to go into your kangaroo court. I want a hay convention court and all these things. And that to me doesn't make any sense. Like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're demanding a hay convention court or something like that. 
Yeah, a, a lot of people just kind of throw darts. They're like, okay, let's try this. Okay, let's try that. You know, and they take stabs at different things. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I'm starting to hear now, and in fact, we're supposed to have had somebody on the call tonight to discuss this as well, but one of the things that I'm hearing a lot now in other outlets is people talking about the states taking back their rights of nationality and kind of giving the finger to the federal government and saying, we're going to start administrating ourselves. We don't need you anymore. Thank you very much. Uh, because of a lot of the shenanigans that the federal government pulls. Uh, Florida Marquis on YouTube. Uh, he's been recently, past few months, going over you know the situation of Venezuela. And he's really come out the past month or two, and he's really starting to say, you know what, states, you, you states need to grow up and take back the responsibility yourself and uh, step away from U.S. Inc. Is there, is there any, since you've been studying a little bit about Venezuela, is, is there any way you could kind of let us know, let us know, like, what's going on? You know, like, all I see in, in videos is extreme poverty, you know, people eating out of trash cans, um, extreme violence, uh, but I don't really know what's all going on? And they're saying something about like, you know, you, the U.S. corporation, the U.S. Army is invading and trying to take advantage of their resources down there. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't really uh, keep up on all that, all that stuff. I, you know, I see that as negativity, you know, and so, so I, uh, I, I have plenty of other things to do. <laughs> um, so what is your take on what's, what's going on and, and what is U.S. like kind of the corporation here doing? to take advantage of that. Cause I know that they always love, you know, uh, rich, rich people always take advantage of, uh, the vulnerable, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a given. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that, that is what's going on. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, uh, a few years ago when my only news outlet at the time that I knew of was mainstream media, I listened to what they had to say. And I think, uh, Hugo Chavez was in power at that time. And, I was like, oh, my God, that's an evil regime. And, you know, sure. Now, people need to realize also Venezuela has the sweetest crude oil there is. And that's actually a term, sweet crude. And it's the it's the best. It takes the least refinement. Da da da. It's the best there is. And there's lots mm -hmm. of it. But. Yeah. And, and I, that's where you get into, you know, the rich taking advantage of the more impoverished. And what was happening during the past few years is that they, they were trying to uh, push down the Venezuelan companies, uh, I think Citgo is their company here in the U.S., if I remember correctly. And because at that time, <clears throat> I wouldn't even go to one of their gas stations. And if a gas station didn't advertise where they got their oil from, I would actually, or got their gas from, I'd actually ask them where they got it from. Because I want to make sure I wasn't giving any money to Venezuela. Uh, now, I've... Now I've learned what I was totally duped about that. Like we've been duped about everything pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> what are some good gas stations that you, you've done a little bit of research on that. What are some good gas stations that you tend to go to? Like I usually go to Shell, you know, cause uh, I, it's just close to my house, but um, what, which ones do you tend to go to? That, that's a real easy answer. There isn't one. 
Um, and and if I if I could mostly just go to a Venezuelan-owned oil company for my gas, I would do that. Um, the, the, the U.S. did a big play on the oil markets, and people need to realize that Venezuela is one of the founding members of OPEC, and OPEC controls pretty much the oil in the world, all right? So it's not like they're a little nobody. And uh, the U.S. for years was one of the biggest importers of um, oil and gasoline. And we were saying that, oh, our wells have dried up, this and that, which they've gone back to wells that they had shut down because they said they dried up and they found out they haven't dried up. Uh, there's numerous instances of that, like in Texas, in the Southwest. But what was really happening was that, well, see now, eventually the past several years, the U.S. has actually become the second largest exporter of oil. And they oh. did that with shutting down, like, the Venezuelan market. Well, since they did all of their sanctions on Venezuela, and we know the sanctions really pretty much only hurt the little people. It doesn't hurt the big people at the top. You know, they're still going to have their caviar and things like that. Yeah. All right. They can move around. And so then the U.S. could turn around and say, oh, look what socialism has done to this country. These people are starving. And like you said, showing people eating out of dumpsters. Well, to me, I find it interesting that the past few years, they show the five or six same pictures of the same people getting food out of dumpsters. <laughs> you know what I mean? In Venezuela, like it doesn't happen in the U.S. Yeah, that happens in the U.S. too. I see people dumpster diving all the time. Okay. So uh, this is something rare. So why can't you show us 30, 40, 50, 100 pictures of people going dumpster diving in Venezuela instead of showing us the same five or six pictures of people for the last 10 years? I, I find that really interesting. But they, they, they try and say they're impoverished. This is what socialism has done. No, it's what the sanctions of the U.S. has done. And yeah. the latest thing, I agree. This thing that's really with Venezuela is they had their election, I think it was January 10th. And Maduro was voted in again by 60%, just like the last time. And the U.S., though, is only recognizing this guy named um, Juan Guaido. Well, Juan Guaido's party didn't even run. They abstained from the election. Although the U.S. is saying, oh, no, it was um, a corrupt election. It was really Guaido's election, da-da-da. Well, how could it have been his if his party didn't even run? And Guaido, might I remind people, and in fact, there's something else I want to touch on regarding this. Guaido was educated at George Washington University. And I found it really interesting, if anybody looks at the WordPress blog I put up, is that I was looking up Department of State here a year or so ago, and I saved the photo of it, because they'll show like a little map where something is located at, and on that little picture, it showed, you know, State Department or Department of State, but in the background of it was George Washington University. And it's like, they're kind of telling you right there, who it is in the background that's actually running and controlling things. And, and so the, the U.S. wants to push through this Juan Guaido guy uh, as being, you know, maybe the, the rightful, I don't know, president or whatever down there. But if, if you go and look worldwide and look at different leaders, you'll see people all over the world who were all educated in the U.S. Um, 
U.S. universities, and most of them were Ivy League colleges. Uh, there's uh, Benazir Bhutto from Pakistan. He was educated in Harvard University. Um, let me scan through my list here. Oh, Columbia. Uh, Juan Manuel Santos. People know that name. Hey, he was educated at Harvard University. Vincent Fox, president of Mexico. He was educated at Harvard University. I mean, oh, I and, uh, yeah, the, the list goes on and on. <clears throat> People from Israel. Uh, Marek Boka uh, from Poland. He was educated at Columbia. Um, Ehud Barak. Yeah, Ehud Barak from Israel. He was educated at Stanford University. Um, half Jewish from Israel or, you know, so-called Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we've got other people in, in the State Department and Congress who are holding dual citizenships with other countries like Israel as well. And to me, it's like, wait a minute. You know, how can you have an allegiance to the U.S. if you're holding a dual citizenship? I mean, that doesn't make much sense to me at all. I mean, if people look at, like, uh, say, for instance, um, Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel. Um, but from memory, he went to school at MIT and at Harvard. Maybe they're all Masonic Lodge, huh? Well, oh, that, that, a lot of people point the Masonic Lodge, but <clears throat> it's not really the Lodge necessarily itself as much as it is the Jesuits. Because the Jesuits infiltrated them because they had been kicked out of every country. So they had to infill organizations that were still accepted in various countries. And so I think they moved into the Masonic Lodge and a lot of things are being done under the name of a Mason, maybe, that's holding office or sitting on your county board of commissioners. But the guy's really a Jesuit. What is the difference between a Jesuit and something related to the Freemasonry or Masonry or, you know, the Templar, Knight Templars and, you know, all these all these different organizations that, um, you know, they change their names around kind of deal. Yeah, well, the Knights Templars and the Jesuits were basically uh, the banking and military wing of the Catholic Church of the Vatican. Uh, th that's why you've got, you know, the Pope everybody sees today, and then you've also got the Black Pope, who, who has mm -hmm. always been a Jesuit. Uh, however, today, even the Pope everybody knows of is a Jesuit himself. And if you if you look at the if you look at the Jesuit universities, uh, look at their religious programs, they pump out potentially. 30,000 potential priests every year. Well, we know that there's not 30,000 new Catholic churches being started or 30,000 Catholic priests being replaced in the U.S. every year. So where are these guys going? Well, they're being taught to basically infiltrate your church, infiltrate your Baptist church, infiltrate um, the county board of commissioners, uh, infiltrate the school boards and that kind of thing. And so... Oh, they're using basically a fifth column uh, philosophy and infil infiltrate an organization and sway the direction it moves in. And I think we've seen a big sway in the United States of America uh, with the direction that society is moving in, or at least the direction that mainstream media is telling us that society is moving in.
Well, I, you know, I, I have friends that are in Venice, from Venezuela, and they've been in there, and they tell me it's pretty bad, you know. So I don't think I don't think a lot of that information is kind of a hoax. I think that um, definitely there's a lot of violence. Definitely there's a lot of poverty. Um, you know, their their fiat currency went down the toilet. You know, like many other countries where their fiat currency just goes bust. Um, you know, a lot of people think that the U.S. is some type, somehow immune, you know, but um, I don't think so at all. You know, I think I think we have the petrodollar. Uh, so, I mean, we definitely do have po- power behind that, but uh, still fiat currency nonetheless. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm not sure, you know, where your friends are really from or whatever, uh, but or where they're living now, I mean. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of people in Miami area that are saying that kind of thing. But my experience is, you know, uh, go on some forums and stuff, and or even Facebook, and try and find people in Venezuela to talk to. Uh, and English-speaking, which really normally isn't too hard to find. And a lot of the stories that they'll tell you are very different. Mm. Many of the stories that we hear from so-called Venezuelans, these are actually people that were considered, maybe not considered here as upper class, but considered there as upper class. And when the governments of like Chavez and Maduro came in, um, they wouldn't shut them down because those people were the people that were perpetrating the financial crimes and causing harsh poverty on other people. So they were booting those people out of the government roles and uh, bringing in others. For instance, Maduro got rid of the regular state Congress there, and he brought in a constituent uh, Congress. And the constituent Congress existed of people from the various communities. He reached out to the communities and said, you send us your representatives for Congress because this will now be the Congress. We're going we're to get rid of this basically federal Congress, uh, such as what the United States has. And we're just going to rely on what the people on the ground are saying. Because even uh, their main federal Congress consisted of a lot of people that the U.S. had implanted there. Right. And like you say, a lot of this comes down to oil. I mean... It comes down to the riches. And the U.S. was basically coming down there with uh, U.S. companies to go down there and, you know, pump oil and use the Venezuelan people essentially as slave labor. Mm-hmm. Take the resources. Yeah, exactly. Pillage the resources. And that's not the only resource that Venezuela has. I mean, there's a lot of silver, gold, different other things in Venezuela as well. A lot of mining down there. Yeah, that's intense. Yep, yep. I mean, there, there's so much that isn't being talked about, things that you won't see on mainstream media, you know, uh, regarding actions down there. I mean, I, I remember a few months ago on the radio, I heard Trump speaking. And he said that the Maduro regime was extremely dangerous to our democracy. And I, I thought, what? What? What are you talking about? How can 
the politics of a South American country be dangerous to the U.S. democracy. But when you really understand the situation, like I said, with him kicking out the, the federal Congress and bringing in the constituent Congress, that kind of explains why Trump said that. Because he was saying that because, you know what? If the people of America saw another country doing this and succeeding, it would hurt our corporation. It would hurt our empire. They wouldn't need us anymore. And that would have hurt us. It, so he wasn't talking about America as a whole being hurt. He was talking about the empire of U.S. Inc. being hurt. And, you know, and we, we don't hear those kind of details on mainstream media. Um, you know, everybody knows, for instance, like oh, the Patriot Act got kicked in. And we know whatever they name things, it's pretty much the opposite of what they call it. You would think the Patriot Act would be all happy, fuzzy, good things for the citizens, right? But no, it's the opposite, you know, where you can detain people without reason and stuff like that. And right now, there is a woman that was born in Louisiana that's being held indefinitely. Uh, her name's uh, Marza Hashemi, all right? And her name is that because she moved to Iran and she's a journalist for Iran, Okay. But she is a U.S. citizen. While she was here in St. Louis uh, doing filming for a documentary, she was doing filming of an event for Black Lives Matter. And when she was doing this filming for Black Lives Matter, that's where she was arrested. And they're detaining her without any charges. They're saying that she might have knowledge of a crime and they might need her testimony <laughs> about it. Although they haven't identified what that crime is. You know what I mean? Uh, she's, uh, I think, uh, 50 years, 59 years old. She's 59 years old. And now, you don't hear that story on the news. You don't hear about that. And it's like, you know, that the things that are really happening in this world today, you're not going to hear about. You're going to hear about the dossier. You're going to hear about Comey and these BS investigations. And it's going to be the same story. every. It's going to be the same story today as it was six months ago. You could listen to the news six from six months ago, and you wouldn't know if it was from then or today. And it's the same stuff just being regurgitated over and over to keep everybody's attention focused in a totally wrong direction. Uh, to me, I think it's kind of like the rope-a-dope that Muhammad Ali would do. You know what I mean? You know, while you're watching yeah. the right hand, boom, you pop by the left hand, you know. <laughs> I think, I think sadly, even if it was broadcasted and shared publicly, a lot of people just don't care. They don't care, you know. Well, yeah, they don't care and they don't, they don't know because they've always been told to look at one thing while something else goes on. I had a guy come up to me today, right? Um. I, I was sitting drinking, and this guy walks up to me. He's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, good, good. How you doing? He says, I'm okay. He says, I'm just bored. He says, I never realized how boring life was between football and baseball. He said, during this season, there's <laughs> nothing to do. <laughs> and I wanted to say to him, I mean, I just kind of looked at him like, you're a dumbass, you know. But I wanted to say to him, uh, it sounds like you need to find some new hobbies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're relying on the bread and circuses that are handed down to you by the empire for something to do, then you have some serious issues, buddy. I wish I had time to be bored. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what. I, I barely have time to go to work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you, you start researching things and learning stuff and finding it out. And, oh, my gosh, because there's so much out there that's available today. And that's why yeah. I say I recommend to people, when you find good info online, save it. Throw mm-hmm. it on a thumb drive or something. Because the day is going to yeah. come where they're going to shut the Internet down because they're like, hey, people are learning too much. <laughs> they, they've, they've caught on to our game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. May yeah. I? No, yeah. Yeah, how are you doing? Oh, good evening. Is this Brian? Yeah, who's this? This is Mama G, Brian. Oh, hey, Mama G, how are you doing? I'm doing extremely well. Thank you very much. And talking about finding things on the Internet and something to do, I wish to thank you ever so much for the direction you gave me last week. I have uh, followed that lead, and I'm most excited about it. So, Pretty um, interesting, isn't it? Oh, it's like uh, there's so many things I've already had tidbits of knowledge on, but this here lead was like overwhelmingly delightful uh, information, uh, especially the stuff on the Arbitration Act. And so, yeah, um, yeah courts, all courts are, they're all arbitration courts, aren't they? Uh, well, they can be. <laughs> it just all depends on what your outlook is on arbitration and where it's applied. Well, that's what so, the administrators are doing. They're, they're arbitrators for the bankruptcy. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I don't want to say too much um, because I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. I know this is being recorded, and um, I appreciate the discretion you used in the direction you gave, and I understand um, that, uh, yeah, it's something that people need to have, and I love the way the PDFs are offered. It's like if I set up a website, that's exactly how I would do it. And uh, there's even been an offer to set help set one up. So um, I can tell you that um, I, I won't be keeping this to myself, but I will be uh, distributing it also discreetly um, uh, to those that I feel are looking for the answers. They're, they're bored because they don't know where where exactly to look for the answers, and sometimes the information can just be so overwhelming. So um, baby steps. <laughs> I plan on introducing some baby food and then some solid food followed by uh, appetizers, main course, and, of course, you got to have those desserts, you know. So... Um, I, I've been awake since 1.30 this morning. I've been hard at it. I have a important conference call tomorrow early, and I just stayed up long enough so I could get on your call and personally thank you. Many blessings to you and yours. And uh, It, it kind of gives you a new way of looking at things, doesn't it? Well, I've been looking for a shortcut, and uh, 
it seems like every time I thought I had a shortcut, I met resistance from the corporate, and I I I did I I, I don't want to deal with the courts anymore, and so um, I'm feeling like this is uh, a lot of the, this work that I've recently discovered from the lead. It's kind of along it's kind of along the same concept that. Hartford Van Dyke puts out with the commercial lean. Right. Uh, some of it's very, very, very similar. And being as I was already familiar with that and have been studying it little by little, uh, it just seems, oh, this is going to take too long. This is like three, three to uh, three months or more to let everything cure. But this here seems like a much shorter route. And, um, it's a one-time thing uh, filed into any case. So I like the idea, and like I said, I'm, I'm on it. I've downloaded just about everything off of that uh, <coughs> website. And uh, right now I'm downloading some stuff, trying to get the rest of it off because it's taken forever to download. Um, so I'll have it in case we shut down. I'm going to try to get hard copies of everything. Uh, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you something. And the reason why I shared that information with you last week um, is that there's a lot of things that I hear and stuff, but I only believe in what I see. And so, after I heard that information, gosh, probably a year and a half ago or more, um, I went online and I went to a federal judiciary website, and I found the case where that was done at. And there was, if I remember correctly, like 320 people, give or take, that had taken advantage of that and used it. Uh-huh. And they only had one reference to it. But it gave enough information for me to say, yep, this is legit. This stuff works. Yep. Yep, I've been looking for this uh, strategic approach that has the most success. And... Uh, there, there is some most, more recent stuff up than last year. As a matter of fact, uh, just this past week, there's been some new stuff come up on the um, internet, on the YouTube. And uh, uh, I don't have a program that lets me download, so I, uh, I have an electronic secretary, so I did an audio on most of it with a bunch of notes. And... Uh, yeah, I believe it's uh, it's another one of those silver bullets that's worth a shot. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. I'll keep you updated. Time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. Keep me up. Yeah, absolutely. Keep me updated. And this is one of these things where you know there's certain things that people do, and it works for a little while, and then they change the rules and stuff doesn't work anymore. I don't uh -huh. see this. I don't see this as being one of those type of situations where they can change a rule or something like that and make it not work anymore. Because to me, this is what the system is based on. And I know a lot of right. people are in the dark. I know a lot of people are in the dark regarding what we're talking about right now. Um, right. They can go back to la last week's call and listen, maybe if they want. Right. Right. Well, I did some. I did. I, I've done study on several with several mentors, and um, studied their uh, work and checked it all out. Like there's a guy named Boris. 
he has a lot to say about the Uniform Commercial Code. And, yeah, uh, I know Boris. I know Boris. Yeah, he's a wonderful uh, uh, man that has put out really good direction for people. But um, it, it also seemed like it took too long, and it's already been too long for me to obtain a remedy. I've had a lot of recourse, and there are a lot of mentors that seem to have a remedy, and I believe they do, but it's just taken too long. And this one here seems like 10 days and then three days to cure. Yeah, I like that right. a lot. <laughs> and yeah, well, Boris... Boris is like me. I mean, he started out and still does try and do things just to take care of himself, take care of things at a personal level and stuff. And he's even found some new successes the last six months with some things. But, um, oh, I'm cool. yeah, but uh, so like uh, what you needed help with wasn't specifically just for you and it was for something bigger. So, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So anyway, um, like I say, I'll, I'll uh, God willing, um, be able to uh, get something done here in the next two weeks. Um, it's a learn-as-you-go process, but uh, much of it I've already um, got my head wrapped around, and I need a little more study, and then uh, to actually go through the um, the uh, process of preparing the actual paperwork to be uh, filed on demand. So anyway, again, I've got to get some sleep. <laughs> I'm kind right. of like really drained. <laughs> so All right. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for calling in. Yep. Thank you for calling in and keep us posted. Will do. God bless. All right. Thank Good you. Hey, bless and favor to you. Good night, dear. Uh, you still there, brother? <laughs> yeah, still here. Still here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was interested in, in Boris because I, I, you know, um, I've done a little bit of research on his on his uh, work, but um, not extensively. Um, in a nutshell, do you think you can let me know how he how he's attacking it? How how he's um, you know gaining gaining his uh, poverty? Oh, the success he's had lately? Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know that necessarily in detail. Um, but it does, from my remembrance, it comes down to the relationship with the legal entity, which is what I talk about. And um, he's gone from what I've heard on... Well, anyway, uh, he's gone from... Not having a driver's license, uh, he's traveling around again. And I guess there hasn't been a problem as of yet. Um, I haven't had any direct contact with him in a few months, uh, but do have contact with one of his close friends almost on a daily basis. Um, I might get him back on a call again. He, he's been on here before. Uh, but the information I shared with this gal last week I mean, this it really goes to the heart of the matter. It really goes to the heart of everything with, with people, or there's in jail or in prison or you're having a tax in court, I mean, because there's been something claimed against you. Um, uh, this information was even shared 
to Ryan Bundy's uh, defense team. And the judge in Ryan Bundy's case, I don't know if you're know, familiar with Ryan Bundy or not, uh, but this comes down to what happened with like the killing of the boy Finicom and what was going on in Nevada at the Bundy Ranch. Um, because people don't really understand what happened there. Uh, people think that what happened is a, a lot of patriots showed up with guns and things like that and did a stand down with uh, BLM, the Bureau of Land Management. And they got scared and went away. What really happened was that they were contacted by the U.S. military and they said, hey, we've got Air Force planes in route and we are going to go there and we are going to wipe all of you out. Because if there is shooting that goes on between the BLM, the federal government and the citizenry, this isn't going to be pretty. It's not going to look good. It's not going to be good for our reputation, put it that way. And so that's what they were told. And so uh, the BLM and the feds all packed up and moved out. It had nothing to do with all the patriots showing up with their protest signs and guns and that kind of thing. They all wanted to go home to their wives and families at the end of the day as well. And they found out in short order that the federal government doesn't give a shit about that. They they care about their appearance and their face. And so they said, we'll walk away from this one. But like I said, this info was uh, shared with people in the defense team for Ryan Bundy. And the administrator there came right out and said, that Ryan Bundy owed no debt to society. And that's a very important statement, and I'll leave it at that. Wow. wow. Yeah, I remember seeing that video footage by the drone with the uh, Finicum. That was definitely a, you know, execution. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I've got, I think the best footage, I've, I've got the footage that was, somebody did kind of an independent investigation on it. And it's, gosh, probably an hour long. But they pointed out, they, because they stopped it and said, here's what's happening here. Here's what's happening there. And you're watching it and you're going, oh, my God. Um, that's one of the days that I will not forget and the reason why is because Lavoy Finnecom reached out about five days earlier and friended me. And because I was looking at some of the things that he was doing. And one of the things that happened while he was there is that he found all these artifacts and stuff um, at that compound. At, oh, it's not military. It was basically a county compound that they were at, but he had found all these Indian artifacts down there that were covered with rat feces and dust and cobwebs and stuff like that. And he's like, this shit's important. It should go back to the tribe. Uh, come to find out, the tribe that it belonged to had kind of made a hands-off deal with the federal government. They didn't want the stuff back. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. But he had exposed something right there. 
And I think that really lies seriously at the heart of what happened to him. And then at 5.30 in the evening, I think it was a Friday. I don't really call now, but I think it was a Friday. Um, my phone started ringing off the hook. My messages started freaking piling up. Lavoie was just shot. And my heart broke. And at that same time, it started raining. Now, I'm down here on southwest Florida. Down here, it'll rain in the afternoon for a half hour, 20 minutes. And that's done. Unless there's a major storm coming through. Well, that weekend, there was not a major storm coming through. And it rained for three days straight from the time he was shot. So who actually took him out? Was the BLM? Uh, no, I, it wasn't the BLM. Uh, it was a federal or a CIA agent. Wow. I don't want to mention any legal names here as to right. the perpetrators, but uh, people can go and look up the video on the, the video investigation of it and find out. And, you know, and, and here's one of the problems. Here's one of the issues. Now, I, I love, uh, was it, um, not Chelsea, his daughter. She, she puts out some good stuff as well. She was adopted uh, by LaVoy. I think he had like five kids he adopted out of the system. But <clears throat> well, one of the things with LaVoy is the problem with the Patriots. Well, he was one of these Patriots. He was pushing Constitution, Constitution, Constitution. But they don't realize the Constitution doesn't apply to them. It applies to people within the company. Uh, Walmart has a Constitution. Another person I can What's think that? of is Bruce, right? Another person that comes to mind is Bruce Dessett. Well, yeah, I, I, I was hanging out with Bruce Dessett every week for a while, too. And I told him, I said, dude, I you're going the wrong direction. You can't do this crap. I talked to him. I talked to him like two weeks prior to his arrest. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're doing things you, you can't do. And, I mean, the one thing that actually was a nail in the coffin for all of them was messing with the coin of the realm and putting a lien on uh, judges', judges. property. Judges. Yeah. yeah. You can't do that crap. You can't. Mm-mm. 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 Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and, you know, as far as, you know, trying to push different officials to uphold the Constitution makes about as much sense as you going in to, say, Walmart, asking for the manager and saying to the manager, hey, your, your Constitution or your compact says you've got to do this or this, and I don't see it being done, and so therefore I'm going to press charges on you. He would look at you like Medusa, like you had ten heads or whatever, right? And that's the same way people get looked at in court when they do this stuff is because you're not a party to it. You're not, you're not an employee of this company. What are you doing? Uh, you need a psych evaluation. <laughs> I wonder why they why they why they threw the you know the book on him that much. I, you know that 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 hardcore. I think he got like what thirty years or something something really you know crazy and and 
I was studying a little bit of of his case, and he would he would go into he he would he would not consent to anything. So they actually like to what I read was they would shackle him to a wheelchair and roll him into roll him into the court. You know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, and I understand him, and I understand why he's doing it, but that's that boils down to a lot of the patriot nonsense of oh, I'm not going to cross the bar and this. Yeah, it doesn't matter. What he was in there for was for previous actions, for previous things that had had happened, and what his name was attached to. You're not going to fix previous actions by doing something today. If you had a, you know, parking ticket a month ago, you're not going to fix it by going in and doing your declaration and. Authenticate all that. You're not going to fix that by doing that today. Previous actions are dependent on the capacity of what you were operating under at that time, which was the capacity of being a subject or a citizen to the empire. And so you've got to pay for that. The only thing that you can do today will affect is things that happen in the future or your future encounters. So, so, so is, is he kind of basically there, there for life? I think. Well, until you, until you correct it. I mean, <clears throat> you look at the courts when, and you hear everything's done under presumption. Well, it's done under presumption because you haven't corrected the presumption, right? And and that's the way it stays. Uh, once you correct the presumption, everything from that moment forward changes. Do you think you can pull off that in bankruptcy? Bankruptcy thing. Bankrupting is a state. Beg your pardon? <clears throat> Do you think you pull off that bankruptcy? Kind of like how, you know, when, when people go to jail for, you know, um, child support, um, pass through child support, and they bankrupt the estate, they bankrupt the trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not bankrupting the trust, but. Because the trust doesn't belong to you. Why would you, why would you want to if it's ultimately worth millions to you? It's not worth millions to you. It's worth millions, if it is even worth millions, it's worth millions to the empire. Because they created it. Yeah. yeah Would you like to be on Twitter and Zoom? <laughs> no, because technically you are bankrupt when it comes to them. They're, they're just trying to clock something off from an entity that they created. But can you not use that to cancel your debts? Yeah, you can. It's done through an individual bankruptcy. Okay. And then you go and you throw all your court cases into that. And it dissolves those court cases. Is this, uh, I just, I thought getting off. Is this a stuff Boris talked about? I don't know if Boris has talked about this or not. 
Okay. Is it this that's this is new to me. Well, if you uh contact me personally, message me or something, uh I could probably send you a link to it. Okay, cool man. Well, I'm getting a connection error on my end here. I don't know what that's about, but I figured we can kind of wrap this up. Any closing remarks? All right. Well, like I tell everybody every week, you know, this is all about learning who you really are, where you're really from, and where you're really at. And you figure those things out, and you're going to know more than 99% of the public knows. And I'll answer a lot of questions for you as to who and what's running things. So, until next week at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, here at Tactical Sovereignty, we'll talk to you later. Good night, hey, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Good night. We absolutely catch you all.